Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, advertising, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with adweek.com. With me as he is each week is Tim Nutt, our creative editor. Tim, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, David. Also happy to welcome back one of my favorite guests on the podcast, Sammy Main, a staff writer at Adweek covering digital media. Sammy, great to have you back. You probably say that to all your guests, but thank you. I'm excited to be here, too. (laughs) Maybe. Um, And (laughs) we've got some really fun stuff to talk about uh, this week. Uh, We're going to talk about the return of a beloved classic cartoon, at least It was beloved by me uh, and how they're using cool new digital media to make the most of that. We're going to talk about a pretty big uh, switch up in the agency and brand world. And uh, then we're going to spend most of our time after Tim tells us this week's ads worth watching. uh, We are going to spend some time talking about how brands are getting uh, downright uh, snappy and, and a little snarky in their responses to critics and to politicians and how that's becoming the new normal. And so uh, it should be a really fun conversation. But first, the news. All right. Uh, as I said up at the front, one of my favorite cartoons of my childhood, DuckTales, is coming back. Uh, Sammy, you were probably a little young to be on the DuckTales train. Did that come along uh, before your time? Oh, woo. No, it was uh, perfect and just for my time. Um, I couldn't tell you specific plot points uh, at this point, <laughs> but I feel like the theme song has stuck with me throughout the years. So I'm just as excited as you are. The cast alone is going to be amazing. Yeah. You know, I didn't make notes here, but do, do you remember who some of the folks are that are going to be on? Yeah. So um, Huey, Dewey, and Louie will be played by Danny Pudi, Bobby Moynihan, and Ben Schwartz, who are all amazing. Um, Doctor Who fans will have David Tennant, who will play uh, Scrooge McDuck, which is so exciting. Um, Another SNL character, or (laughs) cast member, I guess he's a character too. Um, Beck Bennett will play uh, Launchpad McQuack. 
Um, you'll also see, I took extensive notes because I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> Margot Martindale, who also had a great um, character arc on the latest season of BoJack Horseman. Um, she'll be playing Ma Beagle. Um, there will also be appearances from Allison Janney, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, Paul F. Tompkins, Kate Micucci, who also has one of the best um, comedy duo groups in the game. Their name is Garfunkel and Oates, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like it'll be a really fun time for, like, millennials who like cartoons. Um, and hopefully the kids who will actually watch the show will get a kick out of it, too. That is that is serious uh, star power in the casting. I Holy know. cow. Amazing. Well, it reminds me a lot of uh, Lego Batman, right? Where, like, my kids oh, loved yeah. it because it was fun and dumb. And, like, I loved it because my wife and I spent the whole time trying to guess, like, all the, the many celebrities <laughs> that are doing the voiceover. Because she had Garfunkel and Oates in that one. And, you know, it's, uh, it, yeah, the same crowd seems to pop up in a lot of these things. But the reason we are talking about it today is because they are doing some pretty fun stuff in digital to help promote this. Uh, obviously, you know, it, what's fascinating to me about DuckTales is I remember I was watching it once and my dad walked through the room when I was a kid and he said uh, oh you know I this is a Scrooge Scrooge McDuck and I was like yeah and he said oh I grew up reading these comic books and so you know DuckTales was based on the Uncle Scrooge comic books Mm -hmm. uh, and they literally just lifted the storylines right from the comics so like my mother-in-law and my dad both grew up reading those and loving them and so I could mention like episodes of DuckTales and they would remember those comics um and so, you know, this is a multi-generation, you know, so my dad and then me and then now my kids are all going to be, you know, watching this same thing. It really says a lot about it. But they had the problem that their target audience are kids age 6 to 11 and they have no awareness of DuckTales. You know, it's been off the grid for 30 years. It's not really been kept up as an intellectual property. So we did a story uh, this this week about how they are t- doing a, essentially a branded content takeover of two major uh, things that kids are into today, which is Minecraft and Angry Birds. Uh, my favorite comment is that they said Donald Duck was the original Angry Bird. which is accurate. So he's going to be like flinging coins, I think, at pigs or trying to get Scrooge's gold back from the pigs. Anyway, there's going to be a Donald Duck tie-in with Angry Birds, but then also the Minecraft integration is really cool. There's going to be a server just for people to explore Duckburg, the town where it takes place. And uh, and so, you know, just a a really neat idea. We got a quote from Mark Bohaj, the SVP of programming at Disney XD. Uh, He said that a basic goal of Disney XD is to ensure our content is on the most relevant platforms Uh, However, we're also conscious that it has to be an organic desire and need for audiences on those platforms to take your content. That doesn't always happen. So, you know, essentially what he's saying there is that they really wanted to be on these platforms, but they also wanted to be true to Minecraft, to be true to Angry Birds. And and in this case, it sounds like it really was a a smart integration. Uh, So, you know, I have a feeling my kids, had I not been mentioning this to them, which I certainly have, they would Mm -hmm. probably have noticed it pop up in those. And so it's, it's probably a smart play. Tim, uh, you were, I'm going to guess, maybe a few years old for DuckTales? Or were you even in America at that point? I was not. You know, DuckTales, I have no idea what DuckTales is, to be honest. Oh, man, you're in for a treat, buddy. (laughs) It's a good time. I know. I I missed I have a huge cultural gap uh, in the sort of 70s and and early 80s since I wasn't in America then. But, yeah, I will watch this. I mean, it sounds fantastic. 
the castellan. Yeah, I, I, I think your kids will love it. I mean, they're in the right age range for it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was and it, you know, it was such a defining part of like coming home from school when mm-hmm. I was a kid. You know, mm-hmm. getting to watch that. So anyway, uh, will be fun to see that and a very smart integration by Disney on that. Uh, in a it's completely different news, we've got a account update that's pretty interesting. Miller Coors, so obviously the parent company of the Miller brands of beers and the Coors brand of beers, of course, uh, has consolidated all of its Miller creative work under the DDB network of agencies. Uh, what's interesting about this is this is the fifth agency shakeup in six years uh, that they've done on this account. Uh, but the last few have been more about moving it around within the same agency holding holding company and, and in fact, now moving it all under the same agency network. So all their agencies have been owned by Omnicom, the, the holding company. And now uh, they have moved everything for the Miller Lite account. We'll go to DDB Chicago. Uh, which does uh, a lot of McDonald's work. And what, what are some of the DDB Chicago's other big accounts, Tim? Good question. Uh, <laughs> uh, State Farm, of course. Um, what else? State Farm and McDonald's have been have been the big ones. McDonald's, of course, now, now is, you know, the DDB's shining gem in the, the, with the new agency dedicated to McDonald's. But DDB Chicago actually has a, a pretty good history in beer. They haven't They haven't marketed beer in a while, but they were... Uh, they introduced Spuds McKenzie back in the 80s. Um, in fact, they introduced uh, Bud Light when it, when it was launched in 1981. Uh, I think they were an Anheuser-Busch agency for about 20 years. Um, they've been out of beer since 2011, I think. Um, but they also did the Real Men of Genius radio campaign, which is one of the probably two or three best radio advertising campaigns ever. My dad would stop driving so we could finish listening to those ads. So, yeah, <laughs> there you go. that's when you, that's a good benchmark totally. <laughs> for those. Um, but they've been out of beer for a while, but um should be interesting to see what they do. Uh, and Adam and Eve, DDB, uh, they're taking Miller Genuine Draft, as I understand it. And, you know, you can't really point to many agencies that are doing better creatively over the last couple of years than than those guys over in London. So... Yeah, it should be a pretty cool time. It sounds like um, DDB Chicago has been working on the digital side of the Miller Lite business for a little while. Um, 180 LA created the whole um, Hold True campaign for Lite over the last six months or so. Um, so it's kind of a you know bummer for them. They've, they've, they've gotten the rug pulled out, out from under them very shortly after this new positioning has, has come in. Um, so yeah, big times over at uh, Miller Coors. It'll be interesting to see what, what all these agencies come up with. Yeah, and so they were doing a lot of their work through 180LA, as you mentioned, TDBWA's Juniper Park in Toronto. Those are all owned by Omnicom. So to the holding company and and apparently to the client, you know, this is all very convenient. Uh, It's not necessarily great if you were the teams that worked on those at that specific agencies. Uh, But it does sound like they're even going to be moving some of the talent that worked on that account and consolidating it all at DDB in Chicago. Uh, So congratulations to them. It'll be very interesting. And honestly, uh, I am just fascinated to see what Adam and Eve DDB does with MGD. Uh, that is a bizarre uh, combination of agency. Uh, it, so, Tim, tell us a little bit about, uh, remind us what all Adam and Eve DDB has done. I mean, I feel like they are one of the most kind of high profile cinematic uh, agencies uh, on earth. Uh, but, t- you know, remind us about some of their high profile work. Yeah, Adam and Eve DDB does the uh, Harvey Nichols stuff, which included the Shoplifters ad last year. And also the John Lewis Christmas ads, um, everything from Monty the Penguin to Buster the Boxer. They have, you know, they're known for being um, this 
pretty amazing Christmas themed uh, agency. But they also expand beyond that um, into into some other great work. But but uh, they also speaking of Christmas ads, they did the H and M ad um, that Wes Anderson directed last year too. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, having them work on a sort of a workaday brand like Miller Genuine Draft um, should be very interesting. What what is the standing of like when I was in college, Miller Lite is what you drank when you were playing drinking games because you could drink the most of it. Um, and then MGD was uh, was like cons- I don't know MGD was always in this gray zone. Sammy, what is the what is the cultural standing of those <laughs> beers these days? Ah, uh, yes, our our go to millennial beer expert Sammy Main. Um, <laughs> the way I understand it, I feel like yeah, it probably goes Coors, Miller Lite, MGD as far as like ranking these specific brands would go. Um, I don't personally partake, but I do r- remember back in my day, um, kids at, at college, I think Coors was usually their go-to, again, yeah, if they were going to buy it in um, <laughs> bulk <laughs> for, for those types of parties. I never see Miller Genuine Draft around, ever. Maybe they don't sell it in Maine anymore. I see a lot of Miller Lite and uh, Miller High Life, but none of the Yeah, I feel like... Like PBR, I feel like filled after I graduated college and PBR made their comeback. It kind of filled a lot of the gap that some of those beers played in in my life. And, and then High Life was another uh, that you know when you needed bulk, you'd go with. Uh, <laughs> MGD was when you were feeling fancy. <laughs> so, all right, want to move on to my favorite news item of the week, which is that Heinz has created a Chicago dog sauce. For the city that refuses to use ketchup, this is, I, I mainly put it in here, and uh, I'll have Tim explain exactly what happened, but I put it in here because I love Chicago. I love almost everything about Chicago. I've spent a lot of time there. My wife is from there. Uh, but this is the one thing they get absolutely wrong, to not put ketchup <laughs> on a hot dog. It's just so dumb. <laughs> like, I, I love that they put all these other peppers and everything on there, but there was there was this place called Hot Dugs, which uh, I forget now if it's even still around. It closed. It, like, burned down. And then they reopened it, and, um, and then I think they closed again. But hot dogs, where they had ketchup, but they put it on this table in the opposite end of the restaurant, so that you had to do the walk of shame across <laughs> to go get the ketchup. Um, but uh, but man, ketchup on a hot dog is is objectively great. And so I just want to take this moment to use my bully pulpit to say Chicago's been wrong. But Tim, tell us about Chicago dog sauce. Well, David, that is your opinion. I'm from Chicago and I, I'm, well, I, I put ketchup on my <laughs> hot dogs too. Um, yeah, so Heinz, uh, David Miami and some other agencies kind of got together with Heinz and, and they kind of leaned into this um, anti-ketchup uh, hot dog sentiment out in Chicago. And, and they went out to Chicago and they said, all right, you're not going to, you're not going to eat our ketchup. We're going to make something special for you called Chicago dog sauce. And it's going to be, uh, tomato based and, and, uh, and they put it in, in a couple of places and film people trying it. And, um, you know, as you said, Chicago hot dogs do have a ton of stuff on them. I think the standard is, um, yellow mustard, chopped onions, sweet pickle relish, a, an actual pickle spear, tomato slices, uh, sport peppers and celery and a dash of celery salt. So that's a ton of stuff to already put on your hot dog, first of all. But then um, they they put this Chicago dog sauce on it, and you know without fail, um, of course, everyone's raving about it in Chicago, at least in the the video that that we saw. And then at the end of the video, spoiler alert, um, they peel the, the Chicago dog sauce label off, and it turns out, of course, it's regular Heinz ketchup. So, haha, you idiots! You've been drink, you've been eating uh, 
uh, regular Heinz ketchup and isn't it wonderful? So kind of a funny thing. Um, and they're actually selling this stuff. If you go to uh, chicagodogsauce.com, they're doing a whole big ad campaign around it. I, I found it to be, um, you know, it wasn't super surprising, the reveal at the end. You could sort of see it coming. Um, but the folks uh, in the video, apparently not actors, by the way, the folks in the video were um, pretty surprised and also a little bit aggrieved. There was a couple of F-bombs thrown around about how, how they had been deceived and so on. Um you know, and it kind of reminded me, there's a whole sort of genre, right, of, of, of advertising like this. You think, go back to like Folgers Crystals, you know, in the, in the 70s and 80s, like we've replaced your, we've secretly replaced the fine coffee we usually serve with Folgers Crystals. And of course, no one can tell the difference. Uh, a year or two ago, they did a similar thing out in Brooklyn. Actually, they made a bunch of hipsters drink Budweiser and they loved it, uh, not knowing it was Budweiser. So it's kind of a tried and true kind of misdirect. And yeah, I thought this was a pretty fun video to watch. Let's listen to a little bit of the, the recap video of this one. I don't think I've ever seen anything this red on my hot dog before. That works on a Chicago dog with all the other toppings on there. Tastes good. Amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. With the dog sauce? Yes, I got the Heinz dog sauce. What if I told you that Chicago dog sauce is actually just ketchup? This is normal ketchup? This is ketchup! Flip the table. But I don't know if I can finish it now that it's got ketchup on it. Don't tell my dad about this. Yeah, I, I I was just, you know, just glad to see that ketchup's finally making its its comeback in whatever <laughs> whatever deceptive manner it has to. By the way, here's the little cooking moment for our, our podcast. Uh, I will I tried this the other day. I sauteed a bunch of sweet onions like Vidalia, uh, like sa- sauteed those down and then threw them in a blender with some ketchup and I think like brown sugar and a few other things and uh, made that into like a homemade Vidalia onion sauce. Mm. Uh, strong recommend. Uh, nice. Put that on everything. Put that on <laughs> hamburgers, hot dogs, even in Chicago. Like that was, uh, I just kind of made it up on the fly and it was oh. fantastic. Can we so. do a cooking podcast? Yes. Sorry. The, uh, yes, please. <laughs> that'll be our hot dogs and hot garbage podcast. That <laughs> spins on. Uh, all right. Um, now, time to move on to my favorite part of the show each week ads worth watching. Tim, tell us uh, about the ads that are actually worth taking the time to watch this week. All right, sure. Well, Wyden and Kennedy has some new Nike workout uh, under the Just Do It banner. The famous uh, tagline, of course, has been around since 1988. And, you know, it's kind of hard to come up with. Uh, I assume if, if I was a Wyden and Kennedy writer, I'd be like, where can we go with this, with this line anymore? Uh, it's been around so long. Um, but Wyden Portland um, created a new campaign uh, for the Australian market, actually. And it shows athletes kind of going to really ridiculous lengths um, to make their workouts more difficult on themselves. So you've got one woman who drives out in the middle of nowhere and in a bit of hyperbole, um, literally pushes her car off a cliff and has to run home. Uh, there's another guy. It, it, it's got some uh, some celebrities in it, this campaign. So there's a famous uh, rugby player in one of the spots who goes to a museum and uh, touches one of the statues and sets off an alarm and the security comes to get him and he has to kind of run away. So it's this kind of thing. Um, there's a, there's another spot, I think, that it's a young girl who wants to keep up with her, one, one of the faster runners in a race. So right before the race at the start line, she handcuffs herself to the other runner. So I thought these were pretty cute. And there was a really interesting outdoor element to this campaign too where um, the, the very colorful posters um, show, the headlines say, um, they, they give examples of like the easy way out. So one headline says, it's only an exhibition match. Uh, another headline says, pace yourself. 
um, um, throw in the towel, fly home, and sleep for a million years. These are sort of the headlines, and they're all kind of scratched. They look they look like they've been um, scrawled out with markers, and the "just do it" line is kind of hastily added to the to the paint uh, to the poster. So yeah, I mean, you know, for a campaign that's been around forever, um, I like these. I, I, there's definitely a playful spirit to them and, and a decent energy. Um, did you guys watch any of these? What did you guys think? I wanted to find it relatable, but as someone who doesn't exercise anyways, it felt, you know, so much effort to get up <laughs> and do things. So I think they're, they've always been really kind of aspirational ads for me, especially like featuring real athletes. So I kind of enjoyed how um, kind of playful it was. And like you said, it's kind of nice to see a, a new twist on something that we've, you know, heard about forever. Yeah. I mean, they're not very relatable. I think that's, that's where the humor comes in is that they're, mm -hmm. they're a bit cartoony and, but you know, I, I liked them a lot. Um, and, and, you know, Nike also came out, um, with another spot this past weekend when Roger Federer won, um, his eighth Wimbledon, and we've seen this a lot where, uh, especially lately, Nike seems to be particularly into the strategy of immediately after some big sporting victory, uh, if, if, if a Nike athlete is involved, um, they will try to grab the first or second uh, commercial pod like immediately after uh, the game or match, and, and they'll air like a congratulatory ad basically. And it's an interesting thing because if the, you know, if the athlete loses, you've done all this work and you've created this whole ad that then won't run. Uh, so they did this with with Federer. They came up with a you know this was his record uh, eighth uh, men's singles title at Wimbledon, which I think uh, there was a guy in the 1880s uh, won seven, and then of course Pete Sampras also won seven, I believe in the mostly in the in the 90s. And so this for Roger, he now stands alone atop this thing, and so the number eight uh, is played up very prominently in the in the campaign. Um, I believe the G in Roger's name is turned into an eight, which is kind of a cute little thing. And, you know, uh, Federer is actually kind of a, a, obviously he's a very talented guy and very confident guy, but he always comes off, you know, kind of humble most of the time. Um, but the ad was really kind of amusingly irreverent. It was, it was basically like get off my lawn. Cause um, you know, Wimbledon's played on grass. So, yeah, I thought this was kind of a fun ad, too. Although, I did get an email. Uh, we, I wrote up the story uh, for Ad Week, of course, and, and uh, I got an email from Tom Messner. Um, you, guys, you guys may know Messner. He's this, he was on Reagan's Tuesday team. He's this sort of madman kind of ad guy going back to the 60s and 70s. And he emails, we, we email back and forth occasionally. And he, he emailed me uh, and he said, being a tennis fan, a Federer fan, and a Nike ad fan, I have to say, this ad sucks. <laughs> oh, so man. I, I think I think he thought uh, <laughs> they kind of phoned it in a little bit. Maybe they didn't want to put an enormous amount of effort into something that might not have run. So it was basically stock footage um, of Federer thrown in and some, you know, this sort of uh, you know bunch of attitude in the in the uh, the, the on-screen supers. And you know, it wasn't certainly wasn't a masterpiece of craft by any means, but. Um, more than anything, these these plays are, are about, you know, just kind of... Timing. Yeah, yeah, the timing. Airing them right after the thing is, it's, it's you know, for, for the folks watching on TV, it's it, it's got that moment of delight where they realize that um, there's some thought gone into planning this stuff. And, yeah, for that alone, I think it's kind of notable. My uh, my only beef is, and, and this is just with anything that puts numbers in the place of letters, is that my brain refuses <laughs> to pronounce them the way that 
you know, that mm-hmm. they're trying to get you to. So in the lowercase, like they use they use the eight as a lowercase g, and that looks actually pretty cool. But in the name of the video, like uh, at the top of the YouTube, it says like Nike colon Roader. And I just respect thing the R E two P E C T that Derek Jeter did with Jordan Brand a few years ago. Yeah, the Red Two Picketer. You know, you just like every time I see those, it's like it takes my brain. It's like oh, oh, I get it, I get it. That's an eight. Um, but anyway, it, it does seem like I think we've even talked about this on the podcast. But uh, Wyden has certainly kind of made a a you know not to say that there's a big comeback story here. Nike's a category leader. Uh, but in terms of the the ad work for Nike, it, it seems like Widen's really been on a tear lately. They have. I mean, they've made some wonderful, particularly TV work, uh, TV work for for Nike. And yeah, I mean, this is a brand that's got such a great history, and any new spin uh, they can put on it uh, is is interesting. And uh, you know, they've they've also done this uh, issue of of the timeliness. Uh, they did it with Kevin Durant, who's a Nike endorser. Uh, you know, when the Warriors won the title um, back in June, they ran a, a spot right after that with Kevin Durant, sort of, you know, who had a great finals, actually, um, kind of, you know, talking down his his critics. And then they did a very cool spot right after the Cubs won the World Series last year. So they, they definitely swoop in and, and buy up that time. And they, uh, I assume they probably had, I mean, who knows, they, they may have had a, a Cleveland Indians spot ready to go last fall as well. And that was a, that was a much more... Um, heavily produced uh expensive to make commercial the cubs won so when 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 the cubs actually won that series uh, all that work uh, was put to good use yeah i have a question you, you know how in, in sports games um they sometimes make uh like two different kinds of like t-shirts or jerseys like depending on who won and like immediately after you get to buy the winning one but then they'll always ship the losing ones overseas and then it's so hilarious because we you know that wasn't the history that ended up happening. Do we get to see the ads that never were? Are they ever released for like posterity or history's sake? I feel like that would be fun to see it would the be. other direction. It would be super fun, but no, we don't see those. And I wish we did. I've never seen mm-hmm. a single one actually. So they probably bury them and and burn and burn <laughs> them or otherwise destroy the the, the evidence that they were ever mm-hmm. um, sort of playing both sides, but. Uh, what else uh, do you have for us this week? Well, I am not a Game of Thrones watcher, so I am part of the one percent that doesn't watch that show. Um, but wait, wait, wait! Sam, Sammy surely does not. She's way too oh, good I of a definitely person. Definitely don't. No, 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 okay. no. I'm going to be no, carrying so. so much weight yeah. on this conversation, <laughs> David. This is all good you. Luck. Um, I can make references, but I've never seen more than two minutes of the show. Well, Game of Thrones, a lot of it is filmed in Ireland, apparently, and uh, so I've heard. And Publicist London works for Tourism Ireland, and I think for about the last four years or so, um, Tourism Ireland has had a tie-in, an official tie-in with HBO's Game of Thrones. Uh, in, in 2016, uh, early 2016, they did a really cool campaign called uh, Doors of Thrones, where uh, I believe it was a, you, you guys are probably aware of this image, um, there's this amazing sort of centuries-old avenue of interlocking beech trees in Northern Ireland. Uh, it's called the Dark Hedges, and it's featured prominently, uh, I believe, in many in in many scenes in, in Game of Thrones. 
and certainly been uh, the show's been filmed there. It was apparently it was hit hard by a storm um, that leveled some of these trees. So what Publicist London did, uh, they took the wood from the trees that had fallen, they, and they made these ten sort of amazingly carved doors, uh, each one depicting a single episode from from season six of Game of Thrones. And it was this, you know, really beautifully crafted campaign, and it won a ton of ad awards over the past year. And so this week, Publicist released their sort of follow-up to Doors of Thrones, and it's a tapestry. Uh, it's a 250-foot-long tapestry that was actually woven um, by hand, you know, and it's it's this crazy thing. And apparently it shows the entire first six seasons of the show um and, and all the you know many of the crucial scenes of which i know nothing about but david i'm sure you can fill us in on them but it's, it, it's the most spoilery tapestry of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah i've never been spoiled by loom before so I, i'm glad that we've gotten to experience that now <laughs> Absolutely, and it's uh, is it the be- the Bayou Tapestry is the, is the famous one from about a thousand years ago. Uh, it's kind of modeled on that. That was a similar length, I believe, like about seventy meters or about two hundred and thirty feet. So this one's even longer, and it uh, yeah, I mean, as far as craft goes, like you know, going carving doors and making tapestries, this is sort of a in keeping with the Game of Thrones um, theme. You know, it's kind of a sort of a medieval way to do media, but kind of cool. David, did you look at any of it? Yeah, I did. I, I you know, it, it fits really well. The Doors of Doors of Thrones was one of my favorite campaigns of last year. Um, and, you know, I really thought not only the concept of turning these fallen trees from the set into uh, beautiful doors that then drove tourism throughout Ireland, uh, you know, that, that was a great idea, but the craft was really incredible. You know, the amount of, of detail work that went into those, those weren't so much scenes as they were kind of evocative images from the show. Uh, this one, it was pretty fun just to see. And, the, the you know, I definitely recommend everyone pull up uh, the story that uh, that Patrick Coffey wrote. Uh, the, our headline is Tourism Ireland Wove a Remarkable 200-Foot 250 foot tapestry telling Game of Thrones whole story so far. Uh, if you look up that story on Adweek, the the it's fantastic uh, uh, still or you know choice of shot from that from a scene called the Red Wedding, uh, and uh, you know it just it fit really perfectly. Uh, and it uh, really does capture that kind of it, you know Game of Thrones was inspired by the War of the Roses in real life, although it is certainly very fantastical. There are dragons and gods and whatever, uh, but it is rooted in uh, kind of in real medieval history. Uh, so uh, you know that it was evocative of that, and, I, and it really does highlight what a what a good job they've done of of making that show feel. Uh, kind of like it's part of a different time so yeah excellent work and another excellent piece of craft i find it kind of funny when um interesting when uh countries kind of hitch themselves to media properties fantastical media properties new zealand did this a lot with lord of the rings you know oh, where they were like come and check out middle earth it's it's real it's here <laughs> This is what confuses people, and they think it's history, and they forget that it's all fictional. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's really true. It is true, actually. Um, but you can. it's a very strong tie-in with the tourism here, because if you actually go to Belfast and go to the Ulster Museum, you can see the uh, Game of Thrones tapestry. It'll be there probably forever, and then it will become history. I, I met a uh, I met a couple once. I forget where I was, but they're they were retired, and their entire life is going around in an RV to sites where movies were filmed. And wow. that's yes. like that's their life. It's and they love it, and they uh, they were rattling off like every place. But that's you know kind of your dream tourist for this kind of stuff. But you know t- the the thing they point out is that there's never there's never anything to see. 
Like it's really about mm. taking a picture of, hey, remember this, you know, building from the firm? <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's there's not really a thing there. And so I again, what I thought was smartest about Doors of Thrones was that it, it created this scavenger hunt of like go from pub to pub to pub. Like you wouldn't be going to those pubs if if you were just there to visit the Game of Thrones filming sites. Right. Uh, so they, they really did a great job of building off of that. I drove past the uh, Brady Bunch house in L.A. once where, the, where they did the <gasps> exteriors of the Brady Bunch. Uh-huh. And that was that was kind of a trippy thing. While you guys oh, were God. watching DuckTales, I was watching the Brady Bunch. <laughs> hey, I contain multitudes, okay? I watched both. Okay. One, one of my favorites <laughs> that, that I've seen was uh, Murder, She Wrote. Uh, Jessica Fletcher's house is actually a bed and breakfast in Mendocino, California. So even Ooh. though it takes place in New England, uh, in Maine? Is that where it takes place, Tim? Yeah, that's a good question. Sure. Yeah, the uh, takes place in New England, but it was filmed. Uh, the exteriors were all filmed in Mendocino, California, which is uh, this very New Englandy looking uh, town. Uh, you know, it was built by folks who moved out there to harvest timber from New England, so all the houses look very Maine-y. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we like went by her house, and you know, you got to see some of those. Uh, yeah, so for the nerd side of me that Sammy might appreciate, that was a fun <laughs> trip. Well, tell us about the last uh, ad worth watching this week. Well, this isn't so much an ad, but it's uh, a new line of apparel and home goods that, that KFC is doing. Um, Angela, our our writer, um, wrote about this last week. I actually, about about a week ago or 10 days ago, um, mysteriously got a Colonel Sanders pillowcase in the mail. Uh, it turned out that there was a press release in, in the box that I didn't see. Um, so I, I did not understand immediately why I was getting a Colonel Sanders pillowcase, but it turned out to be, uh, one item of many on the new KFC limited, which is an online merchandise shop, uh, that has all sorts of amusing, um, high quality fried chicken apparel and, and other home goods. And, you know, this is not something that's particularly new. Uh, Pizza Hut had a hut swag, uh, that they rolled out last year. Uh, McDonald's, uh, not in the U.S., but over in Europe, I believe in Sweden, uh, a year or two ago, uh, put out a whole line of apparel, you know, with like Big Mac patterns on it. Super fun. Um, you know, and it's just, oh, and also um, the KFC site has one very special item, which is a meteorite that they've carved into the shape of a Zinger chicken sandwich, uh, which you, if you have $20,000 um, burning a hole in your bank account, you can go, um, you can go buy this meteorite. So obviously it's all kind of tongue in cheek. I'm not sure I would go around in you know, in a, in a giant yellow sweatshirt that says fried chicken USA. Although I don't know, maybe I would, uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's this whole idea of this kind of lowbrow, um, these lowbrow chains doing doing like a fashion line or, you know, making cufflinks or making like super fancy socks with like drumsticks on them. Um, I don't know. It's it's I'd be curious to hear what you guys think of, of fast food merch and if there's a future in that. Well, as after long as there's. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say after reviewing. Uh... After reviewing the KFC erotic fiction, I feel like I need to follow up by buying some apparel to to confirm my the pillowcase my connection. Obviously, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the pillowcase. I think Burger King did a did a pillowcase, didn't they? When 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 it was the Wake Up with the King uh, campaign oh, yeah. ten years ago, that was creepy. That was always creepy. Yeah, I think as long as there's I don't know people who like irony, there will be an audience for fast food merch. You know, it's 
funny. How fun. Like you were just saying, Fried Chicken USA. I can totally picture tens of thousands of people <laughs> wanting to to put that on and look a certain way. So it's fun. It's a little collectible. Like there's probably some old McDonald's stuff I wish I still had that like happened to be cool back in the day. But when you're, you know, growing up at some point, you purge everything from your childhood. <laughs> right. And now they're <laughs> collectibles that I no longer own. Uh, so people might like it for that. I don't know that I guess there would be people who like fried chicken enough to actually just wear it proudly, but that won't be me. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would wear fried chicken proudly. (laughs) Big old necklace of fried chicken. Yeah. The, the best part is that the models, like the, the fried chicken USA model, she just looks like, like some kind of nihilist who's just wearing it as this ironic statement on consumerism, you know? (laughs) So. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, All right. Well, thank you, Tim, as always, for rounding up the ads worth watching. Uh, And now we're ready to move on to our big discussion of the week. All right. Uh, One trend when we were talking about what we wanted to tackle this week on the podcast, a clear trend is brands kind of firing back in social media. Uh, So I used to actually work for an agency quite a few years ago doing social media for brands. And I can tell you there is a low appetite, or at least there was in the early days of social media for this kind of uh, fighting back, you know, for it's like you take crap all the time when you are a brand account. People just constantly are making fun of you and picking on you and calling you garbage and wanting to like, you know, report you for whatever or talk to your manager. And, you know, it's like any customer service job. And so in those early days, there really wasn't a lot of uh, internal, you know, tolerance for uh, defending yourself or standing up for yourself or for uh, firing back at people. That seems to be changing. I think you're seeing brands like Wendy's and, and T-Mobile has certainly, because of uh, John Laguerre, their CEO, has really uh, you know, shown that you can be combative. Uh, but at, at the brand level, I'd say Wendy's is probably a better example where they don't mind firing back at people. Uh, they don't mind firing back at McDonald's. But in the past week, we've had uh, several uh, little incidents. So we're going to talk about some of those specifically and about what we thought about those and then also about this bigger trend of brands kind of shooting back. One uh, I'll have Tim talk about because I believe you wrote this up for Adweek was uh, Trump, uh, when he met uh, President Macron's uh, uh, wife in France, he uh, made a comment that she was, uh, what, what did he say, that she was in good shape? And in looked... such good shape. Uh, and he also called her beautiful. Yeah. And so Reebok kind of, a lot of people, of course, uh, you know, took Trump to task on Twitter for this. But Reebok actually put out a uh, almost like a flowchart uh, kind of infographic. So, Tim, tell us about what they did. Yeah, they posted basically a little poster, and it was a flowchart. It just said, um, when is it appropriate to say you're in such good shape? Beautiful. Uh, that's kind of in the middle. And there's five ways uh, that it's inappropriate, only and only one way. Uh, there's only one part of the flowchart leading to yes. Um, but all the no's uh, are like, are you in an elevator with a woman? And it says no. And it says, are you a world leader greeting the spouse of a head of state? And it says no. Obviously, that was the Trump version. There's a few more of those. And then the only one where it says yes, it says, did you just find a forgotten action figure from your youth unscathed after decades in your parents' basement? <laughs> that was the only time you're supposed to say um, you're in such good shape. Beautiful. So the tweet, you know, really went viral. Uh, I think as of when I wrote the story, it had almost 80,000 likes and 50,000 retweets, which are pretty healthy numbers. 
and it was made in-house, I believe. I, t- I talked to Venables Bell, which was a Reebok's agency. They said, no, we didn't do this. It was, um, it was done in-house. And I spoke to uh, the senior director of brand management over at Reebok, uh, Inga Stenta, and she told me that um, you know, Reebok kind of came on the scene with women's fitness and that they kind of want to change the narrative around women. And they said that they saw uh, Trump's remarks as an opportunity. They called it a learning moment. And they said, um, quote, instead of judging or labeling, let's raise the bar and push for progress. Let's celebrate each other and commit to being the best version of ourselves. Let's be more human, which is Reebok's current tagline through Venable's Bell. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of these things. Obviously, it's it's provocative. It's, it's you know, uh, really criticizing the president of the United States, which uh, not something that brands have done in the past very often. Of course, we have a very unusual president of the United States now. So these things are happening more and more, um, you know, and, and it did receive a polarized reaction online. You know, a lot of people loved it. A lot of people thought it was kind of over the top. Of course, the supporters of the president hated it. So it's one of those things where a brand kind of wades in with a point of view on a political a political moment and uh, is is willing to risk, uh, you know, a, a polarized reaction. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting to me compared to some of the other examples we're going to be talking about. Is this is a case where. Uh, as we've talked a lot about on the podcast in the last few months, is that you know brands have this choice of you know do you do you wade into politics and if so, it certainly seems like a brand coming out in support of Trump is going to have an incredibly hard time. Uh, but you know this is a pretty mainstream brand, so they're obviously and you know I waded through the comments, the responses, and it's about a lot of what you'd expect. But it feels like they, you know, they've done enough soul searching to know that that the vast majority of their audience is going to side with this. And to your point about the scope, I mean, this was a tweet that ended up getting eighty one thousand likes. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's going to introduce them to a lot of folks who otherwise probably wouldn't put Reebok at the top of their their radar. Sammy, what was your take on this one? I'm a big fan. Um, I, I like that they took the time more so than like some of the, the other tweets from from brands. They like created an image and it, it didn't like just knock the president. It kind of knocked, I don't know, it, it felt like a very specific type of person and maybe also anybody who comments on anybody's shape and size and how attractive they are should maybe – take a second, think about if they should speak, and then then decide if that's an opinion they want to share. So it was kind of nice that they were standing up for women, and it just happened to be the news peg was our, our very own president. I think it's going to be risky always, like obviously as the election itself shown, people may not react the way that we expect them to react all the time or vote the way we expect them to vote all the time. So it can be definitely tricky if a brand is going to go political, but I would hope they can't go wrong if they're defending women. <laughs> so it was kind of, it was, I don't know, a little heartening to see that from from a fitness brand. Well, so we we had a few other kind of also somewhat political in the sense of the conservative versus liberal. We had Delta versus Ann Coulter. Uh, Ann Coulter, obviously, one of the most uh, divisive uh, kind of far right wing figures in the you know she's an author and a, I don't know where all she's putting on her content these days, but uh, essentially she had a ticket on a Delta flight where she had paid thirty dollars extra for extra legroom. And uh, and then they gave her seat through some sort of mix up. They gave her seat to someone else. Uh, she posted, I want to say at this point, dozens of angry oh, tweets yeah. about it. Um, still going, still going today. And it's been about 
you know, two <laughs> days, three days. So, um, Good. She's still at it. Uh, Delta, you know, at first, I think people were complaining that Delta was being too polite to her, uh, which I don't know. That's hard to say. It's, it's customer service teams running these things. You know, it's not it's not your high level PR folks or it wasn't initially. Uh, but then Delta, you know, so so she posted a photo of the people in her seats, which is obviously a violation of privacy. Uh, she posted some weird stuff about how immigrants are ruining air travel. I, <laughs> like, oh, you know. I'm sure gays were involved somehow I'm in her sure. in her version of it. Uh, and so Delta, you know, had responded to her and offered a refund. But then they said, you know, additionally, your insults about our other customers and employees are unacceptable and unnecessary. Uh, she likened their flight attendants to Nurse Ratched, although from uh, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, although she did misspell Nurse Ratched, which uh, I noticed the New York Times had fun pointing out, like saying she meant <laughs> Nurse Ratched with a D. Um, but... Uh, Anyway, that that response got Delta 172,000 likes and 37,000 retweets on a response, you know, essentially a customer service response. Uh, And, you know, just a fascinating case of I really do think and I've tried to get brands, I've tried to pin brands down on this is, you know, when do you when do you know if the crowd is going to be with you or not? And this is something that everyone in social has to decide if you're getting ripped on by somebody and you decide to fire back you have to you have to do a little soul searching to decide am i in the right or am i in the wrong and in this case, you know, yeah, sure, Delta screwed up. I mean, I've watched them. I, I, I watched recently Delta gave gave away a woman's uh, first class seat on a flight I was on. They basically upgraded her. So, I mean, she didn't pay for it, but they upgraded her, and then they took it away and gave it oh. to someone else. And so I gave her my, like, I happened to have gotten a free upgrade, and so I gave her mine because I really didn't care. It was like an empty flight, but she was ticked. And so, I mean, this stuff happens, uh, but... You know, in this case, I think just the fact that she kept turning it into like, here's all the evils of the liberal world. This is a woman who wrote an entire book about how liberals are are too willing, you know, just are victims and always want to be victims and always talk about being victims. And then all of a sudden she's posting dozens of tweets about this. But, uh, you know, so what's interesting is politics aside, or I guess not really politics aside, but it's the fact that Delta knew that they were taking a stand by responding to this. Sure enough, they've gotten a lot of negativity from her supporters. But as you can see from those numbers, you know, if they had come out in defense of Ann Coulter, they sure wouldn't have gotten 172,000 likes on that tweet. Yeah. So there, you know, there was another tweet um, about this, and I wish you'll probably be able to find it if you if you search for it. I wish I knew the username. Um, but their tweet was, finally, an airline dragging we can all get behind. <laughs> because, <laughs> boy, oh boy, have airlines had it rough online and in person and uh, with uh, so many. Every week it feels like there's another news story about, like, <laughs> I don't know, a scorpion falling from the overhead <laughs> containers. So, But this one, you know, we were all kind of happy that they they stood up for themselves after they played ball a little bit with her. And it was someone the internet was in full support of of Delta at that moment. Yeah, you know, it's also not too much of a surprise that it was Delta either. This is a, you know, this is a brand that yeah. is good at its communications. And it's not really a coincidence that a brand that pays attention and and has built the, the you know, the likable brand that it is uh, would do this. You know, something like a brand like JetBlue would probably do something like this too. But I don't, I don't see United doing this for example. And the other point I wanted to make was that, um, 
yes, Delta, I guess, is taking a stand, but it's not really a stand. It's just like, what's their point? The ultimate point of both this and the Reebok uh, tweet, the ultimate point at the core of it is a really reasonable one. Like, let's just be civil. Let's not be jerks, Mm -hmm. right? So if you have that as your your baseline message that you're trying to get across, you know, it's hard. It's going to be hard for people kind of in the middle to 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 get angry with you you know the the folks that are ann coulter fans and 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 donald trump fans of course they're not going to like it but uh that's not everybody in the country and and if you can get them if you can get people in the middle to to empathize with you i think you're in pretty good shape well where i believe this left off is they offered her a 30 dollar refund i think they went ahead and sent through the 30 dollar refund but she says that she's owed uh more than ten thousand dollars for the time that yeah. she spent uh, she researching, spent researching the, a plane because of yeah, her, hour, because of her hourly rate she said right yeah yeah, yeah exactly uh, yeah, yeah. uh which you know it's like i've i've in philosophically, I am a believer that your time has value, uh, but uh, come on, you know. Someone's at a point seat was: map. Has has she never flown before? How much research did she have to do in order to make this initial ticket purchase and then go through all of this? Now, I feel, I hope there's maybe better ways we can all spend our time than <laughs> researching the intricacies of plane work. Well, and, and call me call me cynical, but I do think that this was her, you know. Yeah, I'm sure she was initially angry, as probably anyone would be, but and then took it to too far of a level, as she always does. But um, but at the same time, I think she saw that this was a way to get herself into the headlines and into the track, mm-hmm. you know, get traction in social. Yeah. And even though she's written a whole book about how liberals like to be victims, uh, you know, I think she saw and she she quite often sees the value in positioning herself as a victim of, in this case, I suppose the liberal evil airline industry <laughs> I don't know um, but uh, the the third uh, kind of case study that's come up in the last week uh, and truly is the most impactful is square versus the fart sandwich Um <laughs> I'm really going to go down in history as one of those great conflicts. So Square, of course, is that ubiquitous little uh, credit card reader slash I think they have their own tablet uh, device that that you see at coffee shops and taco trucks and wherever else. And uh, they had tweeted some innocuous thing about trying to improve the credit card experience. And then a guy called Sandwich of Farts uh, on Twitter responded back, told them to go away. And Square responded back basically you first uh and then it uh it spilled over uh and they just uh kept at each other but square is actually it's run by a guy who used to work on the Charmin account if you remember Charmin in its heyday on Twitter uh was basically nothing oh, but yeah. poop poop jokes and poop puns and so uh <laughs> good, good training that. for this yeah so uh, <laughs> uh Nick and I, and I feel bad I haven't said his name out loud before so Dick uh, Nick Dimachino or Dimachino uh he is a social lead over at Square uh I I talked to him about this one but uh but yeah I mean he certainly brought out all of his charm and skills um and <laughs> the fart sandwich said is make it, make a financial corporation look hip and trendy what you thought you'd be doing with your college degree? And Square responded back, your name is literally Fart Sandwich and you're trolling a cash register. <laughs> <laughs> and got 12,600 uh, likes and over 2,000 retweets. Uh, and then, you know, the guy tried to keep it going from there, but people were already had declared that Square was the winner. Uh, so I, I talked to Nick, uh, sent him a brief Q&A. He wrote back, solely with fart references, which I have to give, <laughs> give him a lot of credit for. It, it, let's see. That's um, all he does anymore. Pers- That's, he only speaks in fart language now. 
the the best part is that he in his all of his profile photos uh, he is standing he's sitting in front of a sandwich too so it really worked perfect for the fart sandwich incident um, <laughs> but uh, let's see some of his comments from our interview he said um, I asked him you know how do you decide when it's worth commenting on something like this he said these decisions are made on the fly but it was obvious in this case that staying silent would be deadly. Uh, he says his bosses are confident I can responsibly represent our brand on social while still having a gas. Uh, oh, that's clever. Can we put in the says, sound effect? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he says that customers just want to be entertained, especially on social. So they're looking for authenticity that passes the smell test. Uh, wow. And then finally, his last one was... Um, in any social situation, especially one that involves a fart sandwich hiding in anonymity, you have to think about when and where it's appropriate to let one rip. So uh, right. the uh, props to Nick on this continuity, his consistency of gas messaging there. But, uh, yeah, that was a fun one. And it just showed that, you know, I don't think of necessarily of Square as a fun brand. It's, it's, I'm sure it's got a very fun team. Uh, but I think they took a lot of pride in this because it is the kind of startup culture where – uh, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna wage war with anybody, and culture is kind of tough. Donald Trump, pretty difficult. Fart sandwich, probably a pretty easy mark. Uh, <laughs> and, and the guy even seemed to kind of admit uh, that they did a pretty good job with it. Uh, it, it reminded me the other day someone uh, criticized uh, Adweek. I, I had tweeted something using the siren emoji, and uh, this guy wrote back and said, "That is not how you use the siren emoji." <laughs> you were tweeting out the podcast, I think. Yeah, I was like, new episode of the podcast. And uh, and so I wrote back and I said, oh, no, it's the emoji police. Everybody run into the woods. <laughs> and then our social editor made one of the sheriff memes out of uh, sirens. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it made entirely of sirens. <laughs> Imagine explaining Charles. any of this to someone 10 years ago. Like none of these words and sandwiches and registers would make any sense. But this is our world now. This is what this is the modern world. we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. But the the best was that uh, the guy responded later and said, "A friend of mine just texted me that Adweek destroyed me on Twitter." <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "And after looking, I see that he was right." <laughs> <laughs> so even we are not above this level of engagement. Hopefully, done in 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 good spirits. I mean, I think we certainly, uh, if if we feel that we're being bashed unfairly, we'll we'll own up if it's fair. If someone says that was dumb, I'll be like, "You're right, that was dumb." But uh, but you know. If you want to stand up for yourself, I think you should be able to. Uh, are, are there any other accounts and that kind of have helped mainstream this? Any the, any brands that you guys think of as uh, being kind of frequently, if not combative, at least pretty snarky? I feel like Tatino's uh, is very conversational in that way and isn't you know isn't afraid to to kind of have have fun at someone else's expense. And in fact, a lot of those pizza-related accounts are a bit snarky, aren't they? Yeah, DiGiorno's had a funny one the other day where this guy said, "I just ordered DiGiorno from the Amazon whatever," and and you know their delivery grocery delivery, and he said, "So now it's both delivery and DiGiorno." <laughs> and DiGiorno tweeted it with just that that flatline smile uh, emoji, <laughs> just like the right, grim determination face. of like, yes, that was that was you know, while not necessarily ripping on the guy, I thought that was a uh, fantastic response to that. Uh, yeah, there's such a fine line with um like tone and comedy and 
the written word, uh, like it gets people in trouble all the time. So it's definitely something to be careful about, especially if it's not something your brand is already known for. If you're already in that space, I feel like it's fine. Um, but it, it's nice when brands don't necessarily punch down. It's nice maybe, I guess, if they punch laterally <laughs> or if they punch up, I guess it's, it's also kind of approved, but they definitely don't want to be considered too mean or too snarky. So for the most part, I think they've all been more concerned about their reputation and haven't really crossed the line. Um, I think these that we talked about today were both kind of playful and, you know, for utilities sake, um, kind of necessary. Uh, and you know, now we're talking about them. So they did a good job. Yeah, That's a good point. It's also, um, kind of a challenger brand strategy. I think, you know, it's hard to imagine Nike as the overwhelming market leader going out and doing the flow chart, you know, the, uh, the Trump flow mm-hmm. chart. So I think when you are willing to take the risk of alienating a certain number of people, it's probably because you want more market share and you need more market share, and that probably uh, weighs into the equation a lot more than if, you know, you're sitting pretty on the top of the pile. I, I talked to David Armano, the global strategy director at Edelman, the the very large global PR firm, just kind of asked him about his take. Uh, he's written some pieces for us at Adweek about, the you know, what he calls the activism economy, the fact that brands are, you know, whether they want to be or not, they are in a highly uh, politicized and polarized uh, marketplace right now. And I just kind of asked him, what did you think of these case studies? And, and he brought up an interesting point with Reebok. Uh, he basically said that if you're going to take a stand like this, uh, you know, putting out a, you know, a whole post about what was wrong with Trump's, uh, you know, commentary about women, you really have to stay true to that conversation. It's not something where you can just kind of be one off about it. And mm-hmm. what was interesting is, you know, after he had sent me that, I saw someone today was tweeting about a Reebok ad that said, cheat on your girlfriend, not on uh, your workout or not on leg day or whatever it was. And so I, of course, Googled it because that one didn't necessarily ring a bell. And it's actually from 2012. Uh, it was a, an ad that only ran in one gym in Germany. And uh, and they took it down right away. Um, so, you know, but people were saying, oh, this is, you know, coming from the brand that just did this whole thing about women. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I thought that was kind of interesting is that it does highlight that you're putting yourself under the microscope, you know, as, as David Armano said in these comments uh, that he sent me, you know, it's, is that you're, you're, you're owning up to more than just, yeah, this one thing is you're, you're, you're basically committing to being part of that conversation over the long term as well, which I think Reebok is. Um, but it's something that a lot of brands would probably, let's do that to take advantage of the moment, you yeah. know, but not it's really stick with it. Convenient versus consistent, I think has definitely been a big conversation with like any political or like with Facebook, June was Pride Month. And so you had a fun pride reaction. But like the minute June was over, (laughs) you could not respond with a rainbow anymore. And so people were like, well, are you proud all the time? Are you only proud in June? So it's definitely a conversation, I think, with all the political awareness that more and more people are starting to pay attention to when it comes to, uh, you know, how frequently are they putting out that messaging and are they only doing it when it's convenient or worthwhile for them? 
Well, thank you both so much for taking part in that conversation. We are out of time this week, um, but we will be back next week. We've got our next tech series uh, coming out very soon, which is where we look at kind of where jobs and technology and culture are headed uh, next. So that will be a really fun package. Uh, We've also got Marketing to Millennial Parents, a package coming out very soon. So keep an eye out for that on adweek.com and in the print magazine. Uh, And uh, don't forget, you can send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. We love hearing from you. And uh, please leave us a review if you have not on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We love hearing from you. Uh, Our theme music is by Home. And this episode was produced by Christina Monlos. Uh, Thank you, Christina. We will be back next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.